Um, it was about 12 years ago. I was sitting in a bar by myself, staring into an empty glass. And I began to think as I was there, um, is how did I end up here? How did I end up in this place uh, feeling lonely, uh, desperate, and in need of something else? See, my, my father was an alcoholic growing up, and we didn't have the best relationship. And um, I only saw him hardly ever, uh, even when we lived together, because he worked a second shift job. And so when I would come home from school, he'd be going off to school. And when I would get up and go to school, or he'd go off to work, and then I would go to school when he was, and he'd be asleep. Uh, on the weekends, he, he drank uh, all the time, and so we just didn't see each other. Um, and if we did, it was he really wasn't there. And so I hear in this place, thinking to myself, how did I get here? Because I never wanted to be like this man. I never wanted to end up heading down this path of becoming this person that I despised. But yet here I was. And then I remember thinking to myself, where do I go from here? Because if, if this is not what I want, if this isn't the life that I think that I need to be heading down and the path that I need to be going, then there must be another, another alternative. And where do I begin to go from here? And I would think to myself, well, maybe I could go back to the relationships and the friendships that I had uh, before I decided to move to this type of lifestyle. Or then I would think, well, maybe I could go back to church and go back to, to God and to allow him to begin to have this relationship in my life and to fill this void that has been left. But then I would immediately think, no, like this, this isn't possible. The, the people that I pushed away, they wouldn't want to be hurt again and wouldn't want to go through that. And so they wouldn't be willing to try to, to wrestle and to accept me back. God himself would not want me back in a relationship with him because of the mistakes and the failures and the consequences and the decisions that I've made. And so I was left wondering, where do I go from here? And this morning, this is the question that we're going to wrestle with this morning. Because I believe that all of us, at times, we wrestle with those thoughts. We wrestle with this idea that we think our addictions, our failures, our mistakes, the decisions we've made, the guilt and the shame we feel from those decisions keep us from pursuing a relationship with God. And they keep us questioning, where do I go from here? Today, we're wrapping up our series, The Comeback. And it's a, been a great series as we've looked at this idea that it's not too late and you're never too far. That it's not too late and you're never too far. And I would encourage you, if you haven't had a chance, to uh, go back to our website and to, to watch the videos or to even go to our, our podcast and listen on iTunes or Google Play and hear these messages. Uh, because in the first week, Mike talked to us about addiction. And, and we learned that addictions uh, don't have to define our reality and they don't have the final say in our lives. That because of Jesus, we can have the power to overcome the temptations that we face. And then last week, Adam shared with us the story of the prodigal son, and he encouraged us to, to get in and really dive into that story and to, to mark it up and to find where we relate and where we connect with those characters in that story. Uh, and we learned that failure doesn't stop us from having a comeback, that any time we can turn and head back to the Father's house and that he is going to be willing and ready to, to run after us, to welcome us home with a warm embrace, understanding that we can come back no matter what because it's not too late and you're never too far. And so this morning as we wrestle with this question, where do I go from here? I just want us to open up in a, in a time of prayer. So will you pray with me?
God, we thank you for the opportunity um, that we have to come to this place, uh, to be encouraged by the words that we sing and proclaim to who you are and who you can be in our lives if we allow you to, to be encouraged and to wrestle with your word and, and the truth and the reality that it brings to our lives, uh, to hear stories uh, of other people wrestling and wrestling with the same questions that we wrestle with day in and day out. And so, Father, as we approach this question this morning of where do I go, uh, let us dive in. Let us be eager and expecting to hear from you on what you'd have us to do because of what we've heard and what we felt as we get ready to, to leave and go out this place, that this morning uh, that your presence would be here as we dive into your truth. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. When I was 18 years old is when I made the decision to walk away from my faith, uh, to, to turn my back on God and to turn them back on his church and, and anyone who was a part of that. Um, see, the six months leading up to that time in my life was the most difficult time in my life. And it started in May of 2001. Uh, I was got up that morning. I had a Dayton Dragons game to go work the concession stands as part of my baseball team. And we get a knock on our door. And I open the door, and uh, there's a man there, and he's asking for my half-brother, Eric. Uh, Eric didn't live with us, so it made no sense that this man just randomly showed up at my house and was looking for him. Um, but we told him he wasn't there, that uh, wasn't here. And so he went on his day, and we went on the rest of our day. I went and worked the game, and I remember coming home that Sunday evening. Um, it was around 5 o'clock, and I remember seeing my youth pastor's truck in my driveway. And this didn't make much sense because youth group was about to start. I lived about 45 minutes away from church. Uh, he shouldn't have been there. And as I pull into the driveway and I get out of my buddy's car to head into my house, I just get this sickening feeling inside my stomach that I'm about to walk into something. And so I, I walk in and my mom is sitting in her chair and my youth pastor and his wife are sitting on the couch and they, they have me sit down. And they'd go on to tell me that my uh, father had been killed uh, the night before in a house fire. That the man that came to our door, he was there to, to find my brother, to let him know what had happened. Um, and so he either passed out with a cigarette lit or a candle lit, um, and his trailer caught on fire. The coroner said his blood alcohol content was so high that he wouldn't have woke up anyways. This was my first time experiencing death, and it was my father. Um, and like I said, we didn't have a close relationship, but I still in my faith was in a place in my journey of understanding who Jesus was, understood this idea of forgiveness and that I needed to be able to extend forgiveness to him from the life and the things and the mistakes that he'd made and I'd made in our relationship. And what really began to bother me um, was that I couldn't do that face to face anymore. Three months later in August of 2001, I'm at another baseball function, and I get a phone call to come home. And so I come home, and again, I get that same sickening feeling inside my stomach. I walk into my house. This time, it's just my mom sitting in her chair, and she has me sit down, and she tells me uh, that my 19-year-old cousin had been killed. Um, she was shot point blank in the chest by her brother. It was an accident. He was in the police academy at Sinclair. She wanted to see how fast he could pull his gun, took the clip out, still a bullet in her chamber, and safety wasn't on. We were really good friends, a few years apart, had a lot of same interests, same hobbies, and, and same friends. And so um, I'm dealing with my father, dealing with how do I cope with this idea of this guilt and shame I have for not forgiving him. Uh, and then starting my senior year of high school, I get news that my, one of my best friends, my cousin, 
uh, is no longer with us. Three months later on Thanksgiving Day of 2001, I get a phone call to come to the hospital. My mom had been in and out of the hospital fighting blood clots. Um, and so we, we go, uh, we walk into her room where she uh, was, and the nurses kind of stop what they're doing, and they look at me and they say, I'm sorry. And I look at them confused and say, sorry for what? And they proceeded to tell me that my mom had passed away earlier that morning, and there was nothing more they could do. My mom was everything to me. I was a huge mama's boy, and for that news to hit me, I really begin to wrestle, adding up all these circumstances that I just faced. If this is what a loving God has to offer me, uh, I can find something else. That this is not this, this picture of this loving God that has been portrayed to me over the years. This is not what I want. That I am going to go and look for something else. And so I turn to relationships and I turn to drugs and I turn to drinking to find a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment, even if it was only for a moment. But it was only for a moment. And again, I would be left wondering with this question, where do I go from here? Because there's a huge void that has been left in my life. In John chapter 21, we see the apostle Peter, I think, wrestle with this same question. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up there. Go to the version, go there. Um, we're going to kind of camp out there in John chapter 21. He doesn't come out clearly and say, hey, where do I go from here? But from his actions and, and then what he does say, we do see this. A little background on the uh, apostle Peter um, is that he uh, was very bold. Um, and things he would say. He was also very inconsistent. Um, he would be considered a spokesperson and a leader of the 12 disciples. Um, and sometimes he got things right, and sometimes he's got things really wrong. So I can relate with him. Um, and so where we see kind of his progression through Scripture is in one moment, in one breath, he would proclaim that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. That he, Where else could we go? We're going to follow you. You are the Christ. But then in the next, he would turn and say something, and Jesus would rebuke him and tell him to get behind him. Um, one moment, we'd see his faith kind of really uh, be put on a high alert, and it's just like Jesus calls out to him, and come, I'm walking on water, come join me. And Peter gets out of the boat, and he begins to walk, and he does, but then fear sets in, and he begins to sink. And then in John chapter 18, we, we see the, this is the night Jesus betrayed there in the garden. Uh, Judas comes, gives him the kiss. Uh, but right before that, a, f- a few verses earlier, we see this last supper take place. And we see Peter make these bold pro- proclamations of, and statements of saying, I will die for you. I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. I will always be by your side. Jesus is betrayed. He's arrested. He's taken into town. Peter begins to fall back and follow at a distance. Uh, people begin to kind of recognize this guy, Peter. And they say, aren't you one of those disciples? Aren't you one of the guys who used to follow this Jesus character? Don't you associate with him and, and do things with him? And each time, Peter would say, no, that's not me. You must have me confused with someone else because it surely is not me. And three times, Peter denies his relationships uh, with Jesus. And this is where we pick up. In John chapter 21, Jesus has been uh, crucified, beaten, buried, has rose from the grave. And we find Peter in John chapter 21, verse 3, asking this question of where do I go from here? And he says this, 
Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. See, by going fishing, Peter was saying that he was finished. He had his chance at following Christ, but he blew it and he had denied him three times. And we do the same. Whenever we fall down, it lessens our confidence in God. And the enemy comes in and attacks and says, you've let God down and yourself down. Don't pray about this. Don't try to reach out to him. He's not going to listen. He doesn't care. You've blown it and it's over. And when we begin to believe those lies, the next thing we know is we find ourselves going back to that place we come from. Back to that coping mechanism that's going to bring us instant gratification a little bit of fulfillment and satisfaction. I'll just go back to drinking because I don't have anything else to do, so I'll just go back to that. I'll go back to this harmful relationship because, well, I know it's going to hurt me, but God doesn't love me, and so where else do I have to go? I'll just go back to that. I'll go back to my bad thoughts. I know God's tired of hearing my excuses, and and I can't seem to get them under control. I have nothing else that I can turn to, so I'll just go back to those thoughts. I'll go back to the old environment, back to the old group of friends, back to the people that I used to hang around and run around with because I need something uh, to fill this void that has been left in my life. And the only thing I know that I can go back to is something that is familiar. Even though it may hurt me, even though it may bring more harm or more pain later, for a moment, it's going to bring me some fulfillment and some satisfaction. So I'll go back to what I know. And this is where we find Peter. He's gone back. He's gone back to what he knows, and what he knows is fishing. Before he decided to be this follower of Jesus, that's what his family trade was, and he couldn't make the cut to follow any other rabbi or disciple, to be a disciple, and so he was a fisherman. So he goes back to fishing. And then we see while they're out there fishing, a man comes along the shoreline, And he asks them, hey, have you caught anything? And they say, no, we haven't. And so he tells them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. And when they do that, they get this huge catch. They can't even bring the haul in. And then they realize this man that is on the shoreline is Jesus. And so they rush back to the shore and they get all the fish there. And they get there and they meet Jesus again face to face after his resurrection. They sit down and they have a meal And then look what Jesus does next in John 21, verses 15 and 17. It says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And then a third time he asked them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt, and Jesus asked, that, Jesus asked the question a third time. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. See, Jesus had one question for Peter, but he asked it three times. Do you love me? And this morning, that's a question that we're being asked ourselves. See, Peter's response each time was, Lord, you know that I do. And Jesus did. Uh, he truly knew that Peter loved him. He knew that Peter was a work in progress, and with all of his mistakes, love was still there. And Jesus knew that under Peter's all bold, brash proclamations, Peter really did love him wholeheartedly, mistakes and all. You see, 
Jesus didn't want Peter to be confident in Peter and the answers he gave. Jesus wanted Peter to be confident in God and God's presence within Peter. Jesus ultimately was telling Peter that he wasn't disqualified just because he blew it. And this morning, I want to make sure that you hear that statement, that it's never too late. You're never too far. You're not disqualified. But so many times we begin to believe those lies. But understand, we're not out. We're not out because the thing we need most is not to be perfect, but it's to be in love with Jesus. See, a few days after I uh, was sitting in that bar thinking to myself, where do I go from here? I got a phone call from a friend of mine. Her name's Lindsay. Uh, we were best friends growing up in youth group. Our moms uh, hit it off well when we started going to church and connected. And so because of that, they were together all the time. We were together all the time. Um, and we just had a, a great friendship. But I pushed her and her family away when everything happened. And I felt like my world came crumbling down. But this time she kind of reached out to me um, and just sent me a, a text and, and just wanted to get together. She was in town from school, and she wanted to meet up. Um, and so I decided to make plans to make that happen. Usually I would ignore her calls and, or just send a simple reply back and just kind of ignore it because I didn't want to deal with it. Um, but this time I decided, hey, let's do this. And so we made the plans. I didn't make it. <laughs> like I didn't make it to the place we were supposed to meet. Uh, so I decided I'll just drive out to her house, and, we'll catch, and I'll catch her, and we'll have this conversation. I drove out to her house. Uh, she just left. We just missed her. Uh, she went back to school. Um, and so I'm there at her house, about 45 minutes away from where I lived. And um, I decided just to, to go in and to sit down with her parents and her younger brother and just have a conversation. Uh, and I remember sitting there, uh, just having a conversation with Vicky and um, just catching up on life, her not really ridiculing me or judging me from what I've been doing in these last few years in my life and just really wanting to know how I was doing. She was speaking some you know, hard truth in my life because she's the person who's able to do that with me. Um, and so we were just having this conversation. And it moved from early afternoon to early evening. Um, she looked at me and said, hey, I got to go into town and to go to church because, you know, I lead a small group of high school students. Um, and she looked at me and said, do you want to go? And at 21 years old, I can tell you, I first thought in my mind was like, why in the world would I want to go to this? Um, but as I thought about it a little bit more, I was already like an hour away from home. I had nothing else to do. Why not give it a chance? And so I went. And that night, I remember just sitting back and just watching what was happening, uh, listening to these students cry out to God and just hear them worship and read these words on the screen that reminded me of who he is and who he could be in my life if I allowed him to. And, and that night, I don't remember everything that happened. I don't remember what songs we sang or what message was preached. But I remember that I realized that I, where I was at, uh, I needed something that I hid this huge void in my life and that the only way it was going to be fulfilled because I've tried everything else was if I began to surrender my life back to God and to start this process and this journey again of coming back to him. And so that night was the start for my comeback. And a few weeks later, maybe a month later, I got this Bible from Lindsay and a, a group of friends that got together. It was a small group. Um, and they wrote some encouraging things in there for me, and they were all excited 
for me to join them and to be a part of their group and just begin exploring again who God could be in my life. But Lindsay wrote in the back of this, and this is what she said. She said, wow, I'm so thankful that God has allowed me to have you in my life um, as a best friend, brother for eight years now. You've been through so much and you have no idea how happy I was to hear you say that you're ready to come back to God now. I hope this Bible brings so much to your life. You know that no matter what, I'll always be here. I love you so much. (laughs) See, Lindsay and her family showed me what it was like uh, to have this comeback be a reality because they were the physical representation of of God's love, his forgiveness, his mercy um, for someone who, who desperately needed it. They didn't judge me. They didn't ridicule me. They did speak truth and hard truths into my life, but they helped me realize that I wasn't too late and that I was was never too far gone, that all I had to do was turn and my father would be there to welcome me home with a warm embrace. But so many times I allowed those lies to stop me. I allowed my consequences of my decisions, the failures and the mistakes I made to make me question if God would have me back. And so the whole time I was allowing the enemy to keep me from becoming and experiencing what God would have for me to be. In John 10, 10, uh, we read this. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. You see, your past uh, will be Satan's greatest weapon or God's greatest tool. Your past will be Satan's greatest weapon or God's greatest tool. If we believe those lies that we're not good enough, that we have to do all these certain things to get back into relationship with God, and we allow them to, to handcuff and to hold us back, that is Satan's greatest weapon against us from becoming who God would want us to be and experience who he has for us to be. But if we allow our past uh, circumstances and mistakes and decisions to be used by God, it becomes his greatest tool for helping other people and ourselves know how much he loves us and who he can be not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. It's because of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness that we then can step into and use these situations to be a light for someone else. See, and this is the, the, the gospel of grace. See, and it can feel absolutely scandalous. And when we're put face to face with the gospel of grace, it seems too good to be true. Because we think we have to have everything together. There has to be some penalty to pay or fine to pay or a ton of bricks have to fall on our head. But there's nothing. Because all the condemnation has already been paid by Jesus dying on the cross for you and for me and for everyone else so that we can have a relationship with him and understand this idea of forgiveness and grace and mercy and love and compassion, that we can have a comeback, that we're never too late, or it's not too late, we're not too far, and we're not disqualified. And so this morning, I want us to be encouraged by what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. 
Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us, and is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we face trouble or calamity or persecuted or hunger or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day and we are slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, neither fears for today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, this morning, it's not too late. You're not too far. You're never disqualified. God is always there waiting for you to turn back to him and start this journey and this process of coming back into a relationship with him so that he then can be use your circumstances, use your past, use your mistakes to elevate who he is in your life and who he can be in the lives of those around you. And so my prayer for us this morning is to be strengthened once again that we might live for God's glory because God is always greater than any of our consequences. And the story of God's redemption is for everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus. And so this morning we have kind of two options, I think. One is to, to realize that it's, that it's not too late. Uh, that, that I can come back to a relationship with God. And that for me it may be starting that today. Uh, to realize that I do believe these lies in my life. I've allowed the enemy to use them as a weapon against me. But that I would begin to start having a conversation with someone that I trust and know that help me work through those processes so that I can begin to use my story and my life as a witness for who God can be and to start turning back and coming back to him. And for others of us who, who have that relationship, who is something that we have solidified, that we then become that physical representation of Christ's love and forgiveness and compassion and mercy to those around us. Knowing those who we have a relationship that maybe we work with or go to school with who are, who are far, who are questioning, who are wondering, where do I go from here? Because life has weighed down on me so much that I don't know where to go. That we can be that hope uh, and show them who Jesus is. And who he can be in their lives. And so this morning, remember, it's not too late. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your son. Uh, we thank you that nothing can separate us from the love uh, that you have for us. And that you're always there just waiting for us to turn and to surrender and to come back to you. Because you are the only thing that can truly begin to bring fulfillment into our lives, satisfaction in our lives, to fill the empty voids that have been left when we feel like we have nothing at all. So, Father, help us be reminded of that. Help us be that act of grace and compassion and forgiveness to those around us as we go about our day today and the rest of this week. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, we have the opportunity to uh, witness uh, a first grader uh, decide to make this decision for the first time of putting her faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And so go ahead and give your attention to this screen. 
Today, our amazing Evelyn Grace has decided to enter the family. We are all so proud of her and excited to see what God has in store for her in her life. We love you. And she has uh, written a letter to Jesus, and it says, I love Jesus and God. Dear Jesus, you are a hero because you are my Savior. I love you because you died on the cross. I am sorry for the times I've sinned and not obeyed. I want to follow you because you made me. You have overflowed my cup with blood. You hold the universe. Okay, Evelyn, you're going to repeat after me, okay? Okay. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Evelyn? Because of your confession and your desire to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, you are being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of eternal life. Ready? Amen. Will you stand as we sing one more song together?